are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. We call some of those folks sommeliers, wine aficionados, wine experts, wine gurus, and the most commonly used title, boring. Welcome to Grape Encounters. We love wine just as much as anyone else, but while we crave those special wines that are silky smooth and go down so easy, we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. There is one overriding premise here at Grape Encounters. Wine pairs best with life. Accordingly, your host David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time, how to have more fun with your wine, where to enjoy wine the most, how to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter. And I'll tell you what, I am so in the mood today to have fun and just to get into some really fun topics. And the subject that we're going to start with today, I don't even know if it's a subject. He's a subject, really. Walked into our tasting room and I sort of recognized him and we got to talking. He has an Irish accent, so I asked him what he did, and he told me. He's the lead singer of one of the most amazing Celtic rock bands. They probably are the signature Celtic rock band in the known universe. It's the Young Dubliners. Keith Roberts is with me today, and what's really cool about this, Keith, is that you and I actually met before, but it was a long time ago. You were playing a gig up in Lake Arrowhead, California, this beautiful outdoor stage, and I was the MC for that. I MC a lot of events, and you guys were there. That's where I got introduced to your music, and know, it was it, so amazing. It, and I remember that show well. It was a... Uh... That was so great when we first met the other day, or, or re-met the other day again, and uh, knowing that that was a show that you'd been at, because I had just been thinking about that show a couple of weeks before that, whenever we play California, it's always nice to play outdoors, because it's such a you know beautiful weather over here, so those Arrowhead gigs were, were legendary for us, and we'd stay up there and hang out at the hotel and bring the families and all the rest of it. So uh, it, was a, it was a good memory to start off re-meeting again with. And they would pack that area there. It's a standing room only kind of concert, and it was so packed. But first of all, I just want to say, I just love the genre that you're working in, you know, the Celtic rock. It's a unique flavor all to itself. There's nothing like it out there. Yeah, it's, it's funny because we always joke about that in interviews and stuff now about the Celtic rock genre because when we started, there really wasn't anything like what we were doing. And that's why we were having such a hard time getting radio and all. And now I hear Celtic rock and I think to myself, I wish that had been discovered before we started. We're talking 31 years ago, I think, if, yeah. I, if I did the, the edition correct, right? Yes, we uh, – 88, well, I, right? Yes, I was about six years old when the first <laughs> record came out. No, but yeah, we started uh, – 1988, I came out to the States and that was uh, – the whole idea was to be a journalist, but it morphed back into music again. And uh, we got our first record deal in 93. I had just bought a pub in Santa Monica. My, my idea was going to be just to uh, own a bar and 
have be the band that played on Saturday nights. And uh, next thing you know, we got, we weren't even looking for it. All the bands that played at our pub were all putting demos out and trying to get record deals. We weren't doing any of that. We were just having a laugh every Saturday funny? night. You decided to buy a bar so that you would always have gigs. <laughs> that was it. And I mean, it was so terrible because I'd be on stage and one of my staff would come up to me and say, the women's bathroom is plugged up. And I'm like, what am I doing a gig right now? Is there nobody else can do that? <laughs> You know, this is, this is not my night for that right now. And it was interesting being the owner and being the band. And most people didn't know that I owned the bar. And so they'd just come to the gig and thought we were just playing Saturday nights. But now, did, it, did, it, you, it, did you sell wine at the bar? Well, we did, of course. In those days, I was uh, consuming lots of Guinness and stuff and didn't really appreciate the finer aspects of wine that came with age. And my listeners are, you know, we're like three and a half minutes into the show and they're going, well, what exactly does Celtic rock have to do with wine? Well, exactly. But, but the reason I wanted you to come in was because we got into this really interesting wine conversation two weeks ago when we met. And I thought, you know what? It's really fun sometimes for people to hear about wine from a really different perspective. And now you guys have toured with a lot of really megastar bands, like Jethro Tull, right? Who are some of the others? We did three years with Jethro Tull. Ian Anderson was one of the the best uh, sort of help to us and one of the few people who really took us under his wing and took us all over Europe and and the States as well. But we've also had great runs with uh, Collective Soul, John Hyatt, Chris Isaac, God, I love John Hyatt. Yeah, I, I, he, I just I, heard him on the radio. He's playing a show here. That's why I just heard him. So, I just yeah, heard him. Uh, yeah. taught them talking about a gig coming up. But the thing about our band is that we're we're huge music fans. So when I saw chances to play with people that I had admired all those years, it was almost more like a fan thing than a moving our band forward. It was more about the fact that I thought, you mean I'll be backstage hanging out with John Hyatt or hanging out with Chris Isaac and chatting to them about their experiences in the business and that's what and Jethro Tull just did, did his 50 year tour alright we're going to get into wine though now because yes. this is, and, and the reason I brought up those bands is because there are green rooms and there are tour buses yes. and I hear stories about the wines that show up on those buses first of all you guys are a big name the bands that you were touring with were big names you can pretty much ask for whatever you want right? Yeah, that's the idea but we, uh, we were slowly entering the wine world it's funny because now on our rider, there's always there's four bottles of wine. And, and what are the four bottles of wine? We don't specify. We tell them that we would prefer it if they could at least have them be more than $15 retail. <laughs> that's, that's all we say because, you know, to be honest with you, you're sort of judged sometimes by your rider. And if your rider's too outrageous, you can get a lot of attitude when you get to the venues. We're not real snobs. We do we, we enjoy moving up to Paso here, which I did 10 years ago. That's now, let, let, let me interrupt because I want to explain that yeah. you are now my neighbor. You're in the Paso Robles wine region. Absolutely. We've got 400 plus wineries here, yes. wine labels here, and it's just wine heaven. And the here, truth right. is, I had no idea when I moved up here. It was all about my kid going to school somewhere. Lived in LA for years and was getting mad down there. And so we, we started looking at a place we wanted to live. Nobody believes me because they immediately think Irish person, they go, oh, you moved there because of the wine, the alcohol. I said, no, to be honest with you, I had no idea about that. So it was a huge discovery that this existed up here and it's been phenomenal. I mean, it's it's become now my, my favorite uh, Do the Irish like drink. wine? Do they drink they, wine? They drink a lot of wine. And they the, do. And the funny thing in Ireland was you go to a wine store in Ireland and you'll see quite a small California section, which blew me away. A lot of Spanish wines, a lot of French wines, 
a lot of European wines in general, and then a lot of Australian wines, Chilean wines, yeah. Argentinian wines. And so I said to a few people, why is your California wine section so small? It hasn't taken off like it has over here. And something we talked about, about how many people can come to, especially from Ireland, will, will visit here, and they'll be real sceptical of California wines, and they usually end up being converted. Hey, we're talking to Keith Roberts. He is the lead singer for the Young Dubliners. We talked about you guys. Maybe we'll write our theme song for Grape Encounters. We are all about writing things that involve booze. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Keith, again, as I said, is lead singer for the Young Dubliners. And I really, I really encourage you to go on to YouTube and pull up some of their videos. I mean, it's amazing when you see a video that has been viewed a million and a half times, two million. How does that feel to you? I just couldn't believe that I'd logged on that many times. You know, <laughs> it just blew my mind. I mean, I knew I was getting close to the minute. No, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's been an amazing uh, journey for us because we're sort of a band that uh, were never really embraced by, by pop radio. We had a couple of songs do well on AAA when it first started, which was like what broke Dave Matthews. And for your listeners, if they're not familiar, that was the, the radio that sort of brought Alanis Morissette to us all first and, and bands that had violins and fiddles and stuff so we we got a great boost out of that but basically we've been our, survived by touring we still do about 150 shows that's a year a, that's a, that's a and, bunch, uh, yeah. and it's just our fans have, have been unbelievably you guys hold if I'm not mistaken you guys hold the record for number of sold out shows at the House of Blues the House of Blues in LA which is no more we did we sold out over 40 times there and that was a uh, that was our home for wow. you know that's where wow. we so what, so what does Keith Roberts drink wine wise well, I was telling you, like, I'm, I'm a big Cabernet fan. I've just, I've always been, like, I don't even know the right terminologies. All I know is I like big reds, that's what I've been told. Yeah. Um, but a funny story was when I first came out to L.A., you know, I was 21 years old, and I remember, and this will be horrific to your listeners, being given a pint glass with ice in it and, and what I call blush, but what everybody called uh, white zin. So... <laughs> I drank this stuff and oh, never, no. ne- never got into it, but we would drink pints of this in the heat. So when I moved up here first, people would say to me, well, you like big reds, would you like to try a zin? And I was like, oh, no, I've had that before. That stuff's disgusting. That's that sweet reddish. Only to find out I hadn't been drinking Zinfandel at all. No, and and it, now I'm a big fan. And, of it. and it's, it's delicious anyway. All right, we're going to come back in just a second. And Keith, I am going to put you to a wine music test. Oh, good luck. Because you said you guys are big music fans, so we're going to do that. This is going to be really a lot of fun. My guest, Keith Roberts, lead singer and acoustic guitarist for the Young Dubliners. If you're not familiar with their music, become familiar with it because it's really awesome. And uh, talking about wine from a, an Irish superstar's perspective <laughs> on Grape Encounters Radio. We'll be right back. Do you ever wonder what goes on in the Grape Encounters studio while you're listening to the commercial break? Research. Yeah, that's what we do. Research. You can never do too much research. The Oregon Wine Experience's Founders Barrel Auction on Friday, August 23rd is an afternoon of elegance. Sample wine futures from Authentique Wine Cellars, Hewitt Cellars, Laurel Ridge Winery, Left Coast Estate, Russell Prayer Rock Vineyards, Stone Griffin Vineyard, Vulcan Cellars, plus many more. The action takes off as you bid on the opportunity to win a case or the whole barrel of Oregon's finest wines. Go to TheOregonWineExperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. 
When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, walnuts and wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio. Since we aren't a TV show, we'd love for you to see and learn more about our incredible wine country town. Check out visitatascadero.com. Once you see how good we've got it, Maybe you'll plan a trip to see us in person. Back with Grape Encounters Radio and really thrilled to have in the studio with me today, Keith Roberts, lead singer, acoustic guitar player for the legendary Celtic rock band, The Young Dubliners. And he is now a full-fledged wine country resident. Wino, I thought you were going to say. Wino. (laughs) You were saying earlier that you guys listen to a lot of music, and I'm sure you do. You know, you got to be inspired. So I'm going to have a little fun here with you right now, okay? If this was Jeopardy, I'd be the one ending up with no money. These are all references to wine in music, and I'm going to ask you questions from different perspectives, okay? Okay. All right, so here's one. I'm going to start easy here. One of the most famous wine references in music. You screw this one up, we can't go on. Oh, I bet I will, okay. but go ahead. <laughs> the line, mirrors on the ceiling, the pink champagne on ice, and we are just all prisoners here of our own device. I know it well, and I can't think who it is. I've heard it so Welcome times. to the... <laughs> Welcome to the Hotel California. Oh, 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 good oh Lord. my God. There's going to be a lot of that now because you've got to remember one thing that when you're dealing with me is that, first of all, in Ireland, I only discovered most of the American music I know when I got out here. And even when we were asked... We've to, had 31 years. Oh, yeah, but yeah. We were at, when we were asked to play with certain bands, I would say, who? And the Americans would look at me like, are you out of your mind? You don't know who that is. So you'll find that I know very little about who things are. All right. Things to all, right. all right, well, let's try this one, okay? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll ask it from a different perspective. Of course, Bohemian Rhapsody was a big, big hit this year with movie fans, but there is a particular song that they have where they reference a champagne and it is
it is one of their big hit songs. Not going to give me any clues? Yeah, Moe Ashandan. She keeps Moe Ashandan in her pretty cabinet. Oh, killer queen. There you go. Oh, all right. Okay. I'll take wine songs for a thousand. Okay. All right. Wine songs for a thousand. This is fun. Thank God. There is a very famous wine song that is called Red Red Wine. But here, here this oh, is the question. Oh, okay? so the question excited. is, there were two different people that turned it into a major hit. UB40. UB40s. And? Is one. Yes. And Red Red Wine. He was the guy. There's a hint. Okay. Yes, yes. Not a band. Okay. He was a guy who was really, really big. And really, actually, he still is. And he recorded it first. In the and, genre? And, and he dresses like Elvis. Really? Not Chris Isaac, then, because no. I did tour with him, and he tended to dress like All right, I'm like going like to say that you're not going to get this one. I think I got a it, 50%. It was, it was Neil Diamond. Oh. He was the first to really? record. Yeah. I can honestly tell you I had no idea he ever did that. Never heard him do it. Yet. Okay, so most people say that this is the number one wine reference in a wine song. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, and the lyric goes like this. A bottle of white, a bottle of red, perhaps a bottle of rose instead fingers on the buzzers you gotta give me another okay it's scenes from an Italian restaurant Billy Joel oh see again Billy Joel you'll have to pull up an English All right, let me see what I can do here alright well Neil Diamond had another wine hit long long time ago yes and I'm gonna make this easy for you it was the wine hit was called Cracklin' Rosie okay the answer is Cracklin' Rosie thank you yes it is do you know what he was referring to when he said Cracklin' Rosie Cracklin' Rosie I do not want to take a guess yes I'd say he was referring to a Cabernet Sauvignon. No. He was referring to a sparkling wine, not a champagne. Yeah. There was a very popular wine. I wouldn't expect you to know the name of it, but it was called Cracklin Rosé. Oh, really? And they called it Cracklin because it, you know, had sparkles. Yeah, yeah. And and remember the line in the song is, Cracklin Rosé, you're a store-bought woman. And he's replacing his love interest with a bottle bottle of of cheap sparkling wine. This is turning less of a quiz and more of a sort of an education for me. Oh, well, yes, it is. You really stink at this. I really do. <laughs> you know, I really do. I, in a way, my mother would be so proud because she'd hate to think that I was an expert in all things booze. All right, let's go to a European group. Uh, this is a little more on your turf. The song is called Old Red Wine. Any idea? I do not. <laughs> Any idea who it might be? Can you guess who it might be? Is it the who? Yes, it is. Oh, it my is. goodness. All right, okay. I had to stretch on that one, but. Okay, let's see. I think that the rest of them, they just get harder. See, if only you were asking me, like, by whiskey. I know loads of songs, bands, that sing about whiskey. Yeah, there, uh, and there, by the way, are there there are some songs that are about whiskey and wine. Here's one, by the way, I know you're not going to know this one, okay. okay? but I just want to share this as kind of our last one because I thought this was kind of ironic. The lyric is this, it's a black fly in your Chardonnay. Ooh. It's a death row pardon, two minutes too late. Alanis Morissette. You do know it! But boom Wow! You see? Who that's knew? Not, I was just pretending that's, earlier that's on. That's like the hardest one right there. Well, that's a little bit, but that's like I mentioned oh her just earlier. Oh, my gosh. I love that record. That, I that was album. great. You know, her whole attitude, you know, that oh, sort yeah. of dark That was attitude. such a great, a great album. Like I mentioned earlier, that was the beginning of our radio time was right when she brought that album out, so it means a lot to us. Okay, who wrote and sang the lyric, Will You Still Be Sending Me a Valentine, Birthday Greetings, Bottle of Wine? That was the Beatles. Ah, oh, look at, they're getting easier and easier. Now, hey, this is really interesting because this is a group 
group that you guys have been compared to in some ways, and maybe this group is an influence of the Young Dubliners, right. to the Young Dub- yeah. Dubliners, okay? And the lyric is this, everything is fine, crimes of the mind, I drink a little wine. Oh, dang it. <laughs> You got me. <laughs> really? It's fish. Oh. No, I'll be honest with you. We've been compared to a lot of the sort of what they call the deadhead bands, but uh, I'm not familiar with their music at all. But we were, because we had a fiddle, a mandolin, and saxophone when we went out on the road first, we started getting these people who followed us everywhere, and they called them dubheads. And they would literally camp out or whatever. But the fans of that style would be less impressed with our three-and-a-half-minute songs because that was the difference was we'd get up yeah. there. We don't jam as much. You know, we've always sort of written sort of them yeah. because being influenced by the Beatles and the Kings and the Clash and Big Country and the Waterboys and all it was very much song oriented rather than jam yeah. oriented yeah. and I, I missed that a little bit about us I wish we did jam a little bit more but, uh, all right, but well, that's you, funny that you brought that yeah, up right, I, well, we're going to have to cut it there because I've got to get my next guest on but Keith I, I leave Keith I leave. Roberts you have to drag uh, me out the young Dubliners a very offbeat discussion about wine with an Irish superstar <laughs> And you're being converted, you know, I'm being converted. into, I really into am. wine. I think it's great. So I'm going to have you in often. I hope so. And we're also going to have you back and we're going to talk about pairing wine with music. Absolutely. What do you think about that idea? I like that idea a lot. All right. So, you know, we're going to go now to a piece I recorded actually a couple of weeks ago. But I always talk about interesting things that you can do in wine countries. And we were in the Saratoga wine country. And one of the great things to do while you're in the Saratoga wine country is to go to Hakone Gardens. It is a Japanese garden. It's the oldest Japanese garden in North America. Really? And I did this because, first of all, the Saratoga is really all about wine. But I just like to emphasize that it's not always just the wine. It's the stuff that you can do that's with the wine. Absolutely. So I, I'm looking forward to presenting this interview with the director of Hakone Gardens. So Great. stick around and listen, okay? You'll hear some real wine information. <laughs> Keith, thank you so much, man. Thanks for You are so awesome. We're going to do this again. We shall. And we will be back with more Grave Encounters. Make sure you listen to the Young Dubliners. They're going to do our theme song. That's what's going to happen. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. David will be back with more Grape Encounters in a couple of minutes, which means there simply isn't enough time for him to enjoy more than a sip or two of one of his faves. Oh, the sacrifices we make in the broadcasting business. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. If you're topping off your burger with grilled onions and blue cheese, pair your work of art with a spicy Malbec. Nothing beats a buttery Chardonnay with grilled corn on the cob. I'm ready to find you the perfect bottle of white for your next get-together. Pack up the cooler for this weekend. We've got canned wine and beer ready to throw on ice. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine & More. Cheers! I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. 
Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. Savor Oregon's finest wines at the Oregon Wine Experience's Grand Tasting on Sunday, August 25th. Work your way through the tasting tables and enjoy an array of delicious culinary bites. Don't miss this special opportunity to sample wines from all corners of Oregon in one unique location. The wine pours start at 2 p.m. Plan your experience today. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. Welcome back to Grape Encounters, where we believe there's no way to fake a great wine, and where we never fake our disdain for the really bad ones. Anybody that's really familiar with Grape Encounters knows that we are not just all about the wine, we're really about the wine experience. And the reason we're in Saratoga this week is because this is a wine-centric area that a lot of people don't know about, but for the moment, we are in really downtown Saratoga, just outside of downtown, and we are at a place that would give you a reason all by itself to come to Saratoga. We are currently at Hakoni Estate and Gardens, and I am telling you, this is one of the most breathtaking places that you can possibly go to. It's got a lot of history. It's just stunning. And I've just completed a tour of the gardens with the executive director, Kogo Kagoshima. And Kogo, I was going to say welcome to Grape Encounters, but I guess you're supposed to say welcome to Hakone Gardens. Welcome to Hakone Gardens, David. Pleasure Uh, to have you here. What a place this is. It is. It's beautiful. It's it's right here, just in the hills of Santa Cruz, or the Santa Cruz Hills, and just minutes from Silicon Valley. But you'd never know you were in Silicon Valley. You would never know it. And and you know, I frankly, and, and no offense to our listeners in the Silicon Valley, but you couldn't pay me enough money to go live there just because of the congestion and just how busy it is down there. Uh, of course, you know that's where we get all our luxuries here in America, or a good portion of them. But you get just a few miles away, you know, next to the hillsides, and it's a completely different environment. Very historic, very lush, very green. And right here in Saratoga is this most magnificent garden. So let's talk about this. Dates way back. And it's one of the oldest gardens in the Western Hemisphere? In the Western Hemisphere. I should say oldest Japanese gardens. Correct. So Hakone was established in 1917. Uh, The Stein family, who were the original founders of Hakone, visited the Panama Pacific Exposition in San Francisco in 1915. And while visiting the expo, they came across the Japanese pavilion and fell in love with Japan and its culture. And so they decided that they wanted to build their own Japanese estate garden. And they purchased uh, 16 acres of property here in the Santa Cruz Mountains, right outside the village of Saratoga. And in 1916, Mrs. Stein and her eldest son, 
traveled to Japan and toured around and visited all the various gardens and parks to get ideas for her uh, and her own private garden. And in 1917, they actually built uh, or started construction on the gardens and built the upper house, which was their primary place of residence, and the rest of the garden. And she hired a Japanese landscape architect and building architect to design the rest of her property for her. Yeah, because that's not something you just go there and take a bunch of pictures and say, I'm just going to do this. Uh, The challenges have got to be immense because, for one thing, I imagine a lot of the plants that are in this garden are plants that, you're not going to find it at the local nursery. Well, today you can. There's, there's today a lot you can, more plants, but yeah, I'm yeah. talking about back then. Back then, she had to see what was uh, what they had in their gardens, but that's where the landscape architect came in because she he could advise her as to what would survive in this kind of climate because Japan, the U.S., California, you have to, different climates, different soil conditions, so it's trying to find the right plants that will will live and look good in the Japanese garden for her. I know there's so much of what goes into building a garden like this is very intentional and it has to be done a certain way. And you talk about something being Zen. I can honestly tell you, we've just walked around for quite a while now and you know, I think pretty much every square inch of the gardens. And I honestly and truly, I don't know if it's your charming personality, but I just walked away from the gardens feeling so peaceful. Well, there have been studies done actually where some of the hospitals in Japan, they put patients in front of a, a wall that had some greenery and then a wall that was just painted white. And they noticed that the heart rate of the patient when they were sitting in front of the, the greenery, the landscaping, was actually lower than it was when Is they were in front right? of the stark white wall. Is that right? Exactly. And then University of Southern Florida did a study, and they put together a program and worked with one of the gardens back east in Florida and put together a program where they brought patients with traumatic brain injuries or people who were uh, PTSD, and they brought them to the gardens and just noticed a visible difference in their demeanor. And so being in a Japanese green, uh, in a Japanese garden uh, has been proven to have a calming effect. Well, it sure worked for me. <laughs> I'll tell you. Well, now, it's time for another glass of wine. Yeah, I know. And I, I noticed you didn't have any waiting here for me, which was probably a good thing because you made me walk up a lot of steps. You do get a good exercise walking through a garden, and it's a strolling pace. Hakone is a traditional hill and pond style garden. So it is set, a, set against a uh, hillside here. And so there are a lot of paths that take you through the various gardens. So you are just one of many attractions in this area, albeit uh, this is worth the drive from almost any place just to come here. But this is a very wine-centric community, Saratoga. Saratoga, yes. It's, uh, it's a growing wine community. And they're part of the Santa Cruz Appalachian. And, and so it, conti- it just grows from Santa Cruz all the way up through Saratoga into Cupertino, where Ridge is located. And, and Ridge being one of the most respected winemaking operations of them all. Paul Draper is the founder of Ridge. He's a hero of mine, by the way. I don't, have you met Paul? No, I haven't. I'll tell you why he's a hero. Because he believes in full disclosure wine labels. And I always complain about how much stuff gets into wine that is not disclosed to the consumer, his wine labels disclose everything. And I think it's just so honest and and wonderful. Right. But that's kind of the nature of the Santa Cruz area anyway, is people seem to be so much more down to earth here. 
I'm not sure if, if, if it's the same when you get over to the Silicon Valley because you've got people from all over the world that are very focused on technology, but here it's much more nature. Well, probably the winemakers take it seriously, but it's not, they're not, I think they're not driven to be hyper commercial. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're bottling what they want to bottle and, and they want to make sure it's what they would drink. I do have to ask you one question. You used to work at the Winchester Mystery House, and that's nearby, right? Just a few minutes away, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go there before I I leave this part of the country. Is that a cool place? You know, I've worked there for 35 years, and it's like coming to work here at Hakone. It was a whole different environment. It was just... It was a whole different experience. What are some of the other places like that when somebody comes to this area for a wine trip? And and believe me, there's a lot of wine to be had here. But I think what's special about this particular area, and again, we're talking about Saratoga, we're talking about Santa Cruz, other places in this general vicinity that you might want to mention? You know, we also have uh, Big Basin uh, State Park, which is just up the street, and you can actually camp there. And then over the hill, there's Santa Cruz and and, uh, the beaches of Santa Cruz, the boardwalk. Uh, There's a lot of different things you can do that are outdoor-related. Santa Cruz is a, a town in California. Because it's a little off the beaten path, it's a place that people forget to go to, and it really deserves a visit. It's a beautiful coastside community. And, uh, you know, it's just a, the water's not as warm as it is in Hawaii or Southern California, but it's still just as beautiful. Shoza, you've been kicking around this area for a long time. I'm born and raised in the area. I've never had to move more than five miles from one house to the next. Now, do you live in one of these tea rooms here that, that you've been showing me? Is, is there a secret space that you have here? You're not going to tell me, so I... No, I have not slept overnight Uh but uh, we do actually, the Cultural Exchange Center, one of the first buildings we walked into, does have a small apartment in the back. That's a Japanese, traditional Japanese-style apartment. Yeah. Okay, now that, that makes me wonder because I, uh, I spent a summer in Japan in a traditional Japanese apartment. It was about eight feet wide. Uh, to say the least, it was um, understated. Yeah, it, it, traditional tatami mat floors, but it's not large. You would you sleep on the same floor that you would be eating your uh, meals on. You don't have to spend a lot of money on furniture. No, there's not enough room to put any furniture in those Japanese apartments. Why do they favor that more understated, not too much stuff kind of lifestyle? Especially when I, I think about the fact that they created an awful lot of stuff for us. Part of it is modesty, but also just lack of space in general. It's a small island, and you know, there's you get into Tokyo, and there's a lot of people living in a small area, so there's not a whole lot of living space to live in. Yeah, exactly. There are a number of tea rooms here. We have we actually have a tea house up at the top of uh, the hill here called Shogetsuan. We also have another tea house in the lower house, which is one of the original residences for the Steins and the and the Tildens. And then we also have one in the Cultural Exchange Center. So we're going to take a little commercial break, if you're okay with that. It's fine. And and, and coming to you from a place, uh, a town, Saratoga, that I have never spent the night in. And I'm going to do it tonight. And we're going to have just a wonderful time talking about this wonderful place. So we'll be back um, in just a second with more Grape Encounters. Sometimes drinking wine makes you just want to curl up in a comfy chair and dream about puppy dogs, faraway places, and other happy thoughts. Or you can just enjoy that cuvee in your glass and lose yourself in the conversation on Grape Encounters Radio. 
summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Nothing beats beers and burgers. And with so many to choose from, we've got the perfect cold one waiting for you. Serving up salads at your cookout this weekend? Add a dry rosé to the table for a perfect pairing. When I'm the barbecue grill master, I've got to have a cold lager in my hand. Hey, grab me another. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine & More. Cheers. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. People often ask, why hasn't someone tarred and feathered Grape Encounters host David Wilson for breaking so many of the old rules? Simple. No one likes the old rules. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, coming to you right now from the beautiful Hakoni Estate and Gardens in Saratoga, California, just, um, I don't know, what, 30 miles from Santa Cruz. My guest is Shozo Kagoshima, and he is the executive director here. All right, so let's talk about some of the things that people can see when they come here. The center of attention is the pond, I'd say, right? Yes. Uh, so as being a traditional hill and pond style garden, the, the pond is the main feature. And, you know, that's what attracts the attention of all of our visitors, especially little kids. And the koi in there. The koi, yes. I'm going to uh-huh. post some pictures of the koi because they're pretty good. Now, each one of those would feed about four people, wouldn't it? Uh, not sure because we wouldn't try that. Would that be sacrilegious almost? Absolutely. So the pond's going to get expanded a bit. As part of our master plan program, yes, that's going to be our next uh, project that we're going to work on. And so what we want to do is actually deepen the pond and steepen the sides so that the critters can't uh, catch the fish. Currently, it's a 30,000-gallon pond, and we're looking at doubling it to a 60,000-gallon pond. All right. So we've got the pond in the Cultural Exchange Center, too. And that's that's the building that I was in, which had the... How how do you describe that? It was a beautiful artwork. Origami macrame. That's what I want to say, right? It was actually, it's a um, weavings. Weavings. Origami weavings. Oh, weavings. Okay. Using a loom, full loom. So yes, the Cultural Exchange Center was that first building that we were in. And uh, that was actually a building that was brought over from Kyoto. And it was a 
originally a tea house for the tea shop and tea house and showroom for a tea merchant. I'm sitting here. I'm looking out the window here, and but it's just like sitting in the middle of a jungle. There's bamboo growing. Any idea about how many different varietals of plants are in the garden? There's a lot, but just bamboo alone, we have over 40 different types of bamboo. See, I, well, I only thought there was one. And we have one, well, we have one that specifically that is very rare. It's the tortoise uh, shell design. Yeah, that was beautiful. It is, yeah. Absolutely beautiful. So um, how many people do you get here, I'm going back to wine now, that come up here for a wine country experience and then wander over here for an afternoon? Overall, we get over 30,000 visitors a year. Uh huh. How many of those are coming for winery visits? I really couldn't tell you. Those are the ones stumbling. Did the <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we get them before they're stumbling. Well, yeah. If, you, if you're going into a a wine country and you're going to be there for, you know, a few days, you know, have a dry day. Just go do some fun. You know, it doesn't have to be completely dry, but, you know, day where you're not just constantly drinking wine. Because I think you'd really, really find an experience like this, you know, really worth its while. And there's something called wine drinking versus wine lifestyle. And this is a very white wine lifestyle place here. You know, yeah. people who appreciate, you know, sort of the finer things in life. But definitely, um, this is an unpretentious place that you just get this warm, fuzzy feeling when you come here. Yeah. Well, you know, we're located right in the in an area where we have wineries close by and also tasting rooms in the village. So you can come in, you can start the day off with a nice zen feeling day and, and contemplate what you're going to do the rest of the day and then finish off with a nice glass of wine. Yeah, sounds perfect. Now, are you open uh, um, fairly late here? I mean, in the afternoon? I know you've got something coming up pretty soon where you're going to have lighting in the trees and, and things like that. Talk about that. Yeah, we're open every day except for Christmas and New Year's. And in the summertime, well, starting March through October, we're open from 10 a.m. till 5 p.m. on the weekdays, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. on the weekends. And in the winter, from November through February, we're open from 10 to 4 on the weekdays, 11 to 4 on the weekends. And then coming up next week, starting on uh, Tuesday, actually, this Tuesday, uh, we're going to be doing night viewings of the cherry blossoms. And we've actually lit up all the cherry trees, and it's the only time we're actually open in the evening to the public. And then how late will you be open to do that? We will be open from 5.30 till 9.30 with last admissions to the garden at 9 o'clock. So can you walk around with a cup of tea? Hanami is what it's called. Hanami it means uh, flower viewing. And in Japan, Hanami is very popular during cherry blossom time. And what people do is they actually take their basque picnic and, uh, or, and their drinks, set a blanket or tarp on the ground, and just sit on the ground underneath the, the cherry blossoms viewing it. So for us, what we're going to do is we're going to have some benches set up on the, the mound area, uh, which is by the Cultural Exchange Center, so that people can sit down and relax and, and do their little flower viewing and enjoy their, their snacks and drinks, uh, whether it be sake or you know a glass of wine, and uh, let them enjoy it. So I can bring a bottle of wine in here? Yes, you can. Oh, I can? Yes. For oh. that, for that we allow that. For that, you allow um, it. Okay. We, and we also have, during the daytime, we have a picnic area where people can bring their, their food and drinks and, and enjoy it outdoors. Oh, that's great. That's terrific. Now, you get weddings here. You get special events. You get uh, retreats. I can see people sitting on yoga mats here. Right. Yeah. So Hakone Gardens... Uh, 
was for the first 50 years was privately owned. It was used as a private residence and retreat. And for the last 51 years now, uh, it's been owned by the city of Saratoga as one of their parks. And I work for the Hakone Foundation, which has been put in charge of managing and operating the park on behalf of the city. And so we generate our operating funds. Uh, We have a million dollar budget to, to maintain and operate the park. And a large part of that comes from our general admission, day-to-day admissions. Uh, also, we rent the facility out for business meetings and retreats during the daytime. Weekends, we have a lot of weddings and ceremony, reception events, uh, memorials, birthday parties, and so forth. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking me on this tour and, and uh, hosting me also here in Saratoga. I greatly appreciate it. I've been wanting to come here for the longest time, and we've had you on our radar for a very long time and finally get around to doing it. We're going to post some photographs online of the gardens and I really encourage you to go to the website as well and that's going to be what? Our website for Hakone is www.hakone.com Shozo Kagashima is uh, my guest. He is the executive director of Hakone Estate and Gardens. A really lovely place and one more great excuse to come to the Santa Cruz area, the town of Saratoga. Oh my gosh, you will be stunned when you drive through Saratoga And this is the first time I've ever done a show with my shoes off in the lotus position. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. We're going to be back here same time on this great radio station. See you next week. Well, this episode of Grape Encounters is in the bag. It's hard to imagine you haven't missed some episodes. So why not hunt them down at GrapeEncounters.com or on iTunes Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast sites. Grape Encounter Studios are located in beautiful Atascadero, California. That's Central Coast wine country, baby. Come visit us. But be warned, you won't want to leave. That's okay, we have a spare bedroom. But it's 55 degrees and full of old bottles. Music